What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the newest episode of the Sorry to Interrupt podcast, brought to you as always by SorrySports.com. This one is episode 104, I believe. So we're chugging along. We did an MLB trade deadline special. It is a Monday rundown on a Wednesday. Nothing really going on in sports this week. Just um, you know, Mike and Sean Lane and Bed as per usual doing their their sporting events. But um, we had Mike Phillips from Just on the Suffering on again to break down the Mets and kind of explain the situation. We talked Mets, Yankees, went around baseball today. So follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports, on Instagram, Sorry underscore Sports. Shoot us an email, Sorry Sports at Yahoo.com. And uh, give the website some love. Take a look. We got three new articles running. I talked about them in the pod. And enjoy the pod. Everybody, welcome back to Sorry to Interrupt. We're here for a trade deadline special. It's our one of the week. There wasn't a lot in the sports world to get to, but this was kind of hovering, and we felt, why not the day of as the day to do the pod? We have Mike Phillips on. Tom, Mike, how are you guys doing? What's up, man? What's up, guys? How are you? Doing all right. So, little housekeeping to get out of the way. I just ran two articles on SorrySports.com from Mike Phillips. One on the Giants and their need for possible wide receivers, and one on the Knicks, which I probably won't read because it'll just be depressing. And then Sean Rowe wrote an article about a guy who we're going to talk about a lot on this podcast today, Marcus Stroman, um, and the Mets and whatnot, hijacking the trade deadline. So check out SorrySports.com for those three articles and everything else up there, but let's jump right in. The trade deadline ended today at 4 p.m., and I looked at the clock and realized it was 4.51 and looked at my coworker and was like, oh shit, the Yankees didn't make any moves except for trading a triple-A reliever for a single-A starter with a career 4.35 ERA in Colorado. Um, but aside from that, nothing exciting out of Yankee camp. No, that was just clearing up a 25 or a 40-man roster spot. Um, Yankee camp will get to in a little bit. Um, obviously, they did not make a move worth noting and we'll talk later on about why that was the case and what ended up transpiring and the way to get to that conversation is first starting with a name that we had been kind of circling for the last couple weeks really the last few months and Marcus Stroman he got traded to New York but it wasn't the Yankees it was Mike Phillips's New York Mets and this deal completely caught me off guard I couldn't believe it I called Tom right after I saw it saying what in the hell is this team doing So we'll attack it from a couple of different angles. One, what this means to the Mets now and going forward. Two, is it the right move to make? And then three, how it ended up impacting the rest of the trade deadline. So let's start off with just in a vacuum. The Mets got Marcus Stroman from the Toronto Blue Jays for two of their top pitching prospects. Um, Apparently the Blue Jays wanted at least Davey Garcia, The names Estevan Floreal and Clint Frazier were also thrown around in uh, Yankee conversations. Glaber Torres was even thrown around in Yankee conversations. Obviously, that was not going to happen. And um, before other teams could put their foot in the water, the Mets jumped in. So, Tom and Mike, what are we thinking? I'll give my take in a little bit, but what are you guys thinking about just the move in, in a vacuum? Go ahead, Mike. You're the resident Mets fan on this pod, so... 
don't you tell us well, how you feel and what, what kind of uh, Brody, goes through Brody's head over there? Well, in a vacuum, like, this is a very, very good deal for the Messi case. I mean, you look at what the Indians got from the Reds for Trevor Bauer with a similar picture, similar resume, similar club control left. They got two big legalculars and two prospects for that guy. The Mets gave up two prospects, who neither of them are in the top 100. K right now is the close to the big league, but he's a projected back of the rotation starter who, with, who can't be more than that unless he all started breaking pitches. And at 24, 25, you don't know if that's coming. So you take this guy, you put him in your rotation right now. He's a big upgrade over Jason Vargas in the five hole. And right now you have five guys in that rotation who give you a shot to make the long shot playoff run this year, but you have four of them in the hole next year for sure. That's a huge win for the Mets. Absolutely. I think it's a huge win for the Mets looking forward. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. I hate to break it to you, buddy, but they will not make the playoffs. I'm going to go on record saying that. But looking ahead, he's under control for, what, two more years following this one? One more year following this one. Um, And he looks great as a five guy this year, like you said. I see him more as probably their third best pitcher behind Syndergaard and and, um, a healthy Syndergaard and obviously Jacob deGrom. I think he's better than Wheeler, and I think he's better than Mats as well. Um, and he's also pitched in the AL East, which is a lot better than what he's going to be seeing in the in the NL East. Um, and then I think the Mets had options. I think they actually gave themselves options. They gave themselves the ability to flip him now and or in the summer and or at next trade deadline. You're talking about the winter. Sorry, the winter. Yeah, yeah I'm getting I'm getting my my uh, what my leagues mix up because usually all the big moves happen in the summer, obviously for the NBA. And they also they gave themselves a chance to have a big time pitcher in New York. And listen, I think they're building backwards because usually good teams in 2019 uh, build within their bullpen and their offensive players. But hey, I think the Mets have the best rotation in baseball. Not the best top three. I'm going to give that one to the Astros, who we'll talk about later. But they have the best rotation from top to bottom in baseball. And I think all in all, for what they gave up, it was a great move because they gave themselves options. They could have flipped him. They can still flip him um, in the winter. Or they'll just have a really good pitcher for the next couple of years. Maybe they can re-sign him. Yeah, so in my opinion, just going off the move, obviously came out of left field. Um, It was a move that I didn't see happening because it doesn't meet the timeline from a rational standpoint with where the team was going. Um, but yeah, obviously if you can acquire an all-star starting pitcher with a year left of team control for two, you know, prospects that aren't even in the top 100. Yeah. You obviously do that deal. Um, Cause like Tom said, it gives you options. But at first I thought this was going to come with a corresponding Syndergaard or Wheeler trade. Me too. Of and course. Uh, to which it really would have made no sense because Syndergaard's under team control through 2021. Uh, you know, Stroman's only under team control through 2020. Obviously DeGrom has his extension and Wheeler's a free agent at the end of this season. But again, it's like, I don't think they really know what they're doing because you go get this great pitcher, which congratulations. It, it's awesome. But Am I missing something? Starting pitching has not been the problem on this team. They they still have trouble scoring runs, and they still have trouble securing leads. They almost blew an 8-2 to two lead on Sunday to Pittsburgh. I mean, this team still has glaring issues, which is why I echo Tom's sentiments. They are not going to make the playoffs, regardless of how good their starting pitching is. And... If you go into next year with the same holes, their defense is atrocious, which is another question about the Marcus Stroman deal is, 
he's a ground ball pitching machine. And you have the worst defense in the league behind him. Listen, I So that I doesn't agree. make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I agree with everything you're saying, but when you ask me and Mike Let's talk about this deal in a vacuum. All in all, I think it's a W for the Mets. Yeah, I mean, of course, Looking if you're just team, talking about... I still think they're an absolute Yeah, joke. if you're just talking about... Right. And just, they should have 110% traded Wheeler. Well, that's the thing. Like, that's they, the thing that makes me scratch my head. They believe that they are a the, playoff team this year. Talking about just in general, and I think you both agree that this, that this Stroman deal was a great deal for the Mets. Again, just the Stroman deal. But if we're talking in generalities of just the Mets... I'm scratching my head at this trade deadline. I mean, you trade Vargas for two what? Middle of the line prospects. I guess you're getting rid of him for what you can. But then you have Wheeler who, all in all, I don't think they're going to re-sign at the end of this season. No way. And, I mean, Mike, do you really think the Mets can make the playoffs? Because in my opinion, that's the only reason why you hold on to a guy like Wheeler. The only reason you do that is two things. Number one, they... They did not get the return they felt was better than what they would get by giving them the qualifying offer and getting the draft pick back that he leaves. That's number one. I don't think they got what they wanted. Because apparently they were asking for the, the moon and the stars and other teams for Wheeler, and no one wanted to give them that price, obviously, because he just came off the injury list. That's one. And two, in case you missed it, guys, the NL wildcard race completely sucks. They are the five games out of the race right now. No, I, I, and, and Mike, I, I don't mean to cut you off. I get it. And I do. Yeah. I mean, there's, these teams have flaws, but can you please again, tell me how Marcus Stroman adding to this rotation fixes the bullpen and the offense. And they have played anemic, anemic not, teams. It's not, yeah. It's not just a 19 move for Stroman. It's a 20 move. He's basically is your replacer for Zach Wheeler lead because they're not paying up for Derek Cole for it, so you're not going to pay to keep Wheeler. So where you I, get that pitcher from you want to win, that's going to be Marcus Stroman. I agree with you completely, but then that's Marcus the Stroman's not going to play shortstop, center field, and he's also not going to pitch out of the bullpen. So they didn't really solve any of those problems yet. We'll have to see what they do in the winter. Or, yeah, the winter, right? It's yeah. the winter? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. There yes, you it's go. The winter. Um, but I just the Mets – continue to make me scratch my head because I mean I guess maybe the draft pick is valuable but is it really that much more valuable than I don't know the offers that were out there for Wheeler but obviously you're not getting a player of Debbie Garcia's talent or any of these top well, no I think but. what they I think that Wheeler was ready to be moved until they got Stroman and once they got Stroman they Van Wagenen using the charm that he has again convinced ownership hey, this is a move to get us into the playoffs this year. And they were clapping their hands and giving him a hug and saying, oh, okay. So you can't possibly turn around and trade a Syndergaard or a Wheeler. You're going to go for it this year. And and they should have gotten more in return because clearly based off of what ended up transpiring on the trade market, Wheeler would have been one of the most enticing guys and somebody would have overpaid for him, particularly a Houston, particularly a Yankees, obviously. And I'll talk about this in a minute, why the Mets wouldn't trade him to the Yankees anyway. And a Tampa Bay was apparently all in on him. But once you acquire Stroman and decide you're not trading Syndergaard, you're clearly making a decision for just 2019, which is to get into the playoffs. And Mike, you're right. The wild card is wide open, but there's too many teams ahead of you that are playing each other. And, you know, you go out to San Francisco, you lose three out of four. All three of the games you lost were on walk-offs. Marcus Stroman is not impacting that those games. And, you know, you, you get, you, you take care of Miami, you take care of a Pittsburgh, you take care of a couple teams like that. But 
when San Francisco and Philly are playing each other, those are two teams that are cannibalizing each other and just taking games off the schedule from the Mets, and every game they lose ends up costing them in the standings. They're too far behind. They're not as good as those other teams. And right now, you're going to have the best rotation in baseball, which they kind of already have had, and no bullpen and no rot- and, and no and no lineup that's really something that's going to make you know they don't they didn't make a Yoenis Cespedes 2015 move. I'll put it that way. No, they didn't do that for sure. But one thing you have to look at with them also is the fact that, like, A, the Wheeler thing, I, I feel like they were just had their price set. So, you know what? Like, we saw what Bauer got. So, like, if someone wants to overpay us, we'll do it. Otherwise, but don't you think that that came up. after they got Stroman? If they didn't get Stroman, I think Wheeler would have been gone. Don't you agree? I don't know about that. Just because, again, if teams were not going to give them what they want. They would you have traded him if you didn't get ball. Stroman? I think they would. I think, again, it depends on what teams are willing to give them because if Market Trey Walker Stroman goes number one, it's not the Mets. Where is he going? Because if he goes to, like, let's say the Yankees, it's not going to be a situation like that. And then number two, who are, is going to give the Mets exactly what they want? Because if they don't, they have this thing in mind. I, I just, I find it hard to believe that if you don't get Stroman and you're still in the same position you'd been in, that Wheeler holding the you know you're holding one of the biggest trade chips of of this market this is prior to the bauer trade or even before we knew the bauer trade was materializing i i think that a team would have paid a pretty penny for for zach wheeler and that's going to just be incumbent upon what the mets realistic expectations for zach wheeler are a pitcher who has is pitching to a mid four zra off the IL and as a free agent at the end of the year. I mean, as much as, as great a draft picks are, I, I think that any haul that you could have gotten for him would have been better. But once you acquire a Marcus Stroman, you're making, you're kind of putting an exclamation point on this year, right? You're saying we're good enough to win now because regardless of whether we flip him in the winter or not, who cares? But we're we're committed to seeing 2019 out. Yeah, I disagree with that on the premises. The number one is like, it was not just Wheeler who didn't get dealt. There were other pitchers who didn't get moved. Either Robbie Ray did not get moved from the Diamondbacks. Madison Bumgarner didn't get moved from the Giants. So some of these teams are wanting prospects, and a lot of these big market teams are prospect hunting right now. They're not willing to give up their young players to get rental guys anymore. So that's a big issue with why Wheeler didn't move. Plus, it gives the Mets flexibility in the winter to say, you know what, we could keep Wheeler and Stroman, and then we can trade Syndergaard who wants to fill other holes in the team because he's still going to have great value in the winter. No, he is, and arguably he has better, cause especially if he has a good second half. But I guess my concern is, is are you really looking to re-sign Wheeler? Like, the Mets don't do that. I think, like you said earlier, you made a good point as to speaking of Stroman's probably a cover for for a Wheeler. So you go into next season with the top three of DeGrom, Syndergaard, and, and Stroman. But it still is puzzling to me from this respect. And let's now you know delve a little deeper into the conversation and go from a separate angle, which is... I saw a great tweet by, I believe it was Joel Sherman. It was either Joel Sherman or Heyman. And they and they wrote, like, the Mets have now hijacked the market. And this was Sunday night. And I used that terminology on my article that's posted stole, on SorrySports.com. So did almost everybody else. And it's a perfect word because... I just can't have perjury on took, my site. I have to take that article Shut down. up. You took away one of the biggest trade chips for contending teams to go to a team that's most likely, I think they have like a 4% chance according to fan graphs to make the playoffs. And now they held that 
they have another chip in addition to Syndergaard and Wheeler, and you're eliminating one of the teams basically from that bidding war, which is the Yankees, because the Mets will not trade with the Yankees. So now you're dealing with teams like Houston, Tampa Bay, maybe Minnesota, Milwaukee, Atlanta, and Philly. And now you're just holding all of these chips that you could, you're kind of stuck with. Like, congratulations, you've got these decisions to make, but every trade you've made has been wrong. And I'm sure Van Wagenen was saying, yeah, I'm not going to risk being wrong again. And the Wilpons probably said, yeah, you're not trading any of these guys you're going to you're going to see 2019 out. So, you took away one team that was vying for at least, you know, one or two or maybe all three of those guys, and then you just added another another chip to your to your deck and took away from, you know, a Cleveland or a or a Oakland or a Minnesota or Houston going out to Toronto and saying, "Yeah, I want those guys" because unless you're flipping them, which doesn't happen all that often, the Mets just took a guy off the off the deck. Yeah, so what? That is what it is. That's the market. I don't fault the Mets for doing it. I, I honestly like the move in a vacuum for the Mets. It gives them a lot of flexibility going forward. The only gripe I do have with the Mets is the Wheeler thing. Because you said Mad Bum didn't get trade. Okay, traded. Okay, Mad Bum is probably either going to... Re- I think he's going to re-sign in San Francisco. Robbie Ray, was he on a one-year deal? Was he a free agent? Is he a pending free agent? Exactly. So the Mets basically have a guy who you know you're not going to re-sign. So it was either basically the Mets played it to their advantage to where not only did you get a Marcus Stroman, but you also just up Zach Wheeler's value being that you traded for Stroman. So Zach Wheeler just jumped up that much higher on the list for pitchers. So I fault the Mets because... I think that the prospect haul that they could have gotten would have been a hell of a lot better than one qualifying draft pick, period. And I think that they did a disservice to the team and the organization by not trading a Zach Wheeler because you're not going to re-sign him next year. And again, Sean said you only have a 4% chance of making the playoffs. So what what are the chances you get struck by lightning? About the same? Well, to be fair, I do think the, the chance is 16%, not 4 which is a pretty big difference for, for a start there. That's number one. It was four back on Sunday when the deal yeah, was now made. It's, yeah, now it's 16. It's a, it's, they've gone up quite a bit the last couple of days. That's number one. All right, so 16%. Uh, I'll talk to you in about three days. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one option. The other option is you're thinking about is that there's no guarantee Miller is leaving because the Mets, in theory, could re-sign Wheeler, keep Stroman, and then trade and I was thinking they to fill some of those other holes. Sean, how much you want there. to bet that the Mets re-sign Wheeler next year? How much? When have they re-signed their guys? Never. He'll get he'll get some, he'll get a nice deal on the free agent market. Four I years, sixty-five, seventy. Mets are. You want assessment a big contract? So I wouldn't have to put it past them. Well, the Mets did that because again, their fan base was crying for it. I don't think they'll be crying for for Zach Wheeler and, to come back. And you know, and you know who sold that big contract to the Mets? Rory Van Wagenen. Yeah, I know. But I don't. I don't think that those two, because the impact that Wheeler's had on this team is is nowhere close to what Cespedes's impact was. The bottom line is, I just think yeah. that the Mets did a complete disservice to the or Brody Van Wagenen, whoever's calling the shots. I don't really know who is there. Did a disservice because you would have you would have probably gotten two to three decent prospects to give yourself the ability to rebuild this team going forward for a guy who you may disagree with me, but I think is probably most likely going to leave next year, who's also injury prone. But again, the Mets made a really 
shrewd decision, and I don't know if they fell into it, however Brody Van Wagenen did it, by going out, getting Stroman, who's a guy who is controllable through next year, a great young pitcher, and also on top of all of that, raises the market for another guy in Wheeler, and then they just hold on to him for a 16% chance right now, a 3% chance or 4% chance on Sunday, and talk to me after they blow a few more leads because Edwin Diaz can't throw a strike in another week. And also, doesn't this kind of remind you guys in a certain situation a lot like, you know, your Jets and your Jets and uh, Knicks, like right? Oh, like, you just got to bring it back, don't you? No, because if you you're, think about you're trying it, to get me upset, because Mike's already upset. I know you're you're in between rebuilding and then buying. I mean, the Mets are in a golden position to hit the reset button, and they were actually given a mulligan from this winter. Amazingly, everything that they ended up have that ended up happening to them over the course of the first half and now into the second was like, okay, wait, we have another chance at a rebuild. Let's, let's freaking go for it. We have attractive players. We have commodities. Other teams are going to seek and you choose again to buy. And this team, I mean, it just, you're going to, you hit a point where you just have to look yourself in the mirror and realize you're just not that good. They don't have the makings of a playoff team. I mean, I remember in 2016, and Tom and I talked about this a little bit, Mike, prior to, um, prior to uh, coming on the air, you know, the 2016 Yankees were only, I think, two and a half games out of the second wild card come the trade deadline. I mean, they, and they had the best bullpen in baseball and weren't a great team. They had Batantis, Miller, and Chapman. I mean, if you had a lead, the game was basically over. And they had a Beltron who was having a nice year. And you had a Nivon Nova who had a little bit of value, probably around the same that Wheeler has this year, who was throwing the ball pretty well and off an injury and, and was in the last year of a contract. And they just said, you know what? We're old. The rest of the building blocks aren't around. And it's time to hit the reset button because we're just not that good. And even if we find our way into the playoffs, we're just not that good. Are the Mets beating the Dodgers in a playoff series, even if they get there? I don't even think they're beating the Cubs, Cardinals, or Brewers. So they had a golden opportunity here to hit the reset button. I'm not saying you had to trade Syndergaard, but if you trade a Wheeler, if you trade a Frazier, if you don't get a Stroman, and then you know maybe you do a couple of other maneuverings, you're now set yourself up again. Trade a Diaz because all indications, despite his horrific season, apparently the value is still pretty high on him because teams look at, you know, all these analytics and say, you know what, despite how bad he's been with the Mets, we can fix him. He's got a great arm. He led the AL and saves last year and we can turn him around and you don't do any of that. And now you're just kind of, again, stuck in the mud, which, you know, all indications were the Mets feel like they can't rebuild in New York. Of all the teams that can rebuild in the New York, and I bet the Met fans, including yourself, you say, you know, just end the suffering, the name of your podcast. I, a good way to end the suffering is to analyze your totality and, of situation and say, all right, here we go. Let's, let's shake this thing up. And, and you don't. And this is how you become average to slightly below average for a long time, with the exception of a blimp. Like, in tw- you know, you have, if you look at the whole Mets history, you have 69, you have 73, in between that, nothing. You have 73 to 86, nothing. 86, great. You only get one World Series out of that. It takes you to 2000. And, 2000, you know, you go to the playoffs 99, 2000, 2001. 
After that, nothing till you know, 06, you get to the NLCS, 07, 08, you blow leads, don't even make the playoffs. You have 2015 World Series appearance, 2016 wildcard game, and since then you've been mediocre. This has been the entirety of the franchise because they don't make decisions to reset and make themselves better. They are just perpetually in limbo, and a Marcus Stroman trade to make yourself incrementally better for a part of your team that's already a strength without enhancing the rest of it, it just seems completely mundane. Hey, you're not wrong with them not taking a direction. If they were going to buy, I would want them to do a little bit more things. Like, you could have gotten a bullpen on. You could have gotten a bench piece to help your team out. Not just got strong and said, okay, we're done with it. But the thing is that they don't need to do a total rebuild. They're not that far off. I mean, they have four young position players who you can build that team around. And Alonzo, Jeff McNeil... Those are all really bright pieces, but again, it's gotten them to where they are now. You're not getting rid of Cano. So Frazier leaves, McNeil takes over at third. Okay. You've traded your best prospects. Diaz seems like he's a disaster in New York. You yeah, have Diaz and Syndergaard at the same time. Their, their value is not going down in the winter. You can also score again in the winter, trade both those guys, and we'll have the same value. But again, if you're, if you're, it, but again, if you're, if you think you're not that far off, then what's going to change their plan in the winter? They're going to go into the off season yeah. and then yeah. look and look at that the same way they're looking at it now and how they looked at it this past winter, right? Which is my entire point yeah. of basically, yeah. if you're looking at it from that point of view, which I think isn't the worst point of view in the world to look at it that you're only a few pieces away. Your only opportunity to rebuild is trading a Zach Wheeler, who I think you could have gotten a few good prospects for, and they don't do that, and he's going to walk in the winter. Yeah, but like my point was, let's say hypothetically they re-sign Zach Wheeler, and then you take Noah Sudeikar and trade him in the winter for a center fielder, a defensive catcher, and like a younger pitcher to put in the rotation to replace him, and another prospect. That's yeah. three plus. That's three guys for one guy, and you still have Wheeler and Stroman rotation with the young guy you picked up. Yeah, in, in theory, you're 100. percent Yeah, you're 100 right, Mike. In theory, that makes sense. But if you're telling me that they think they're not that far off, then why would they trade they Noah Syndergaard? Because again, it's a matter of asset allocation. They say, you know what, we have a strong rotation already. We have four of the guys back. We have Wheeler back. We can afford to trade Syndergaard. We're not going to pay all five hundred. But that goes completely against everything that the Mets do. They don't do. I mean, listen. I like the fact that you said asset allocation, but the Mets don't do asset allocation. If they were doing asset allocation, they never would have traded for Marcus Stroman in the first place. They would have gone out and got a couple bullpen arms. They would have flipped to Zach Wheeler for a few good young position players, maybe a defensive catcher, because they don't have assets. Yeah, and you could always resign Wheeler in the winter too, and if you wanted to. And they're strong at starting pitching. So the Mets, let's just face the facts, are not known well for asset allocation. Yeah, this trade, in my opinion, I think this whole situation is just incomplete until we see what ends up shaking out with the Syndergaard Diaz Wheeler situation in the winter because until we see what they end up doing, if they end up, you guys get it very well to be correct that, you know, it's just giving other days them just running in quicksand not going anywhere. But until we see what the end picture ends up shaking out, what they bring to the 2020 besides Stroman, that's really... We're kind of you're just talking circles for an hour and a half here, not really getting. Yeah, no, you're right, you're Mike. Right. I mean, we had you we'll on the pod. This. Yeah, we had you on the pod, you know, a month or so yeah. ago, and and we talked about yeah. it then too, right? Like, what is yeah. what is the philosophy behind this team? Is it win now or rebuild, or is it we feel like we can't? Because the two are very different, right? If yeah. you feel like you can't, then you're not going to. But if it's a decision between the two and everything's even. 
okay, are you making the right or wrong decision? The history of the Mets have shown that they do not rebuild, that they are kind of always running in circles, making these, you know, half-hearted moves and I'm not saying Stroman's a half-hearted move but I think it's Stroman's best he's he's a he's a serviceable number two and he's a great number three you know this year he's having has been incredibly incredibly good and it's behooved him to have it obviously on a team that was looking to rebuild but if you look at the landscape of baseball and as we get into the rest of these trades you know that has the the term rebuild or retool or reload or however the hell you want to say it has all has been the recurring pattern of teams that have had good turnarounds and, and, and become relevant again. I mean, I don't think there's a team that has, that is more of an, of a example of that than the Arizona Diamondbacks. I mean, this team sells off assets and then they get good and they fool themselves that they're good. And then they buy and, you know, they're second or third in the NL West fighting for a wild card spot and they don't advance past that. And they're always seem like they're, running in circles and never getting really any further. And I look at the Mets and I'm like, it's kind of the same thing, but the Arizona Diamondbacks today to, to shift gears now traded Zach Granke to the Houston Astros. This news came in past four o'clock. It was closer to like 20 after four. I couldn't freaking believe it. What'd you guys think of this move for the Diamondbacks? They got back some really good prospects. And then for the Astros, does this make them the leader in the AL? I think it absolutely makes them the leader in the AL. That top three in the rotation is incredible. Their lineup top to bottom is one of the strongest in the AL and one of the strongest in baseball. I would put them probably behind the Red Sox and Dodgers, and the Red Sox have a hell of a lineup. That's not really their main issue. They just haven't been clicking on all cylinders yet. Um, I put their lineup at number three. I think they're by far the best, the best team in baseball and the most suited to win a World Series. Uh, look at it from the Diamondbacks side. I mean, listen, you got rid of a guy who had a huge contract. You guys weren't going anywhere. They got rid of Goldschmidt already earlier, uh, what, in the last winter. So I I think that they're doing a better job of rebuilding than the Mets are because they just got rid of their ace pitcher, and they got rid of a homegrown guy in Goldschmidt, and they got some pretty damn good prospects for it. Again, I think they got, what, a a top – both of those prospects are top 100, I believe, right? So – yeah. Yeah, the kids they got from the Astros, the two pitchers, I think they're two best guys after Forrest Whitley and Kyle Tucker, and the two other kids were the recent high draft picks of the Astros. Yeah, so it sounds like they got a couple studs, and I think that they're doing a really good job rebuilding. Would I have liked to see them move a Robbie Ray? Selfishly, because I'm a Yankees fan, yes. Same thing with a Bradley, who closed out the Yankees, what was it, last night. But, again... You get rid of a lot of salary for a small market team and you're bringing in four good prospects when you're floundering in limbo. I think that's a really good move for both for both sides because now I think the Astros, and I think you picked them to win the World Series this year. Did you? No? No. Lose to the Yankees in the ALCS. I mm-hmm. picked them to win the World you Series. You did. I'm I a genius. You picked the Astros? Picked the Astros? Yeah, I did. Good job, Mike. I, there's two smart guys on this pod, and then there's a yeah. dumb idiot sitting across from me named Sean. That was really strong. That was tough. I fuck. You're still upset about the Knicks. Yes, I am. Um, so yeah, I like the move on both sides. I'd like to hear your boys' opinion on those. Yeah, I think this is a win-win out of both teams. Diamondbacks. That contract was a killer for them because they never should have signed it because they cannot afford to give Zach Greinke that much money. Yeah, they got out of a lot of it, and they got four young building blocks that helped retool that team in Arizona and the Astros again. 
Third straight year, they, they swipe a picture out from under the Yankees' nose. Not that Granky would have gone there, but three years in a row with Verlander, Cole, and now uh, Zach Granky, that they have landed a stud starting pitcher, and the Yankees are left by empty-handed. Yeah, um, that was definitely something I was thinking about, obviously, as a Yankee fan. Um, you know, Verlander was a guy that thought the Yankees should have made a run at, but they weren't sure. I, I don't think anybody could have possibly predicted what he was going to be in Houston. I think you could have you could have made the argument he would have gone on a nice run, but I think to expect him to turn back the the clock ten years for what he's been is is not something you could have predicted. Garrett Cole was a guy with great stuff and you know a mid four ZRA in I'm Pittsburgh. Still, I'm still mad. About yeah, I wanted I wanted him too, but you know at the time they wanted Andujar and a couple other guys, and you know. It, recency bias, you would have said, yeah, I would have done that. But at the time, we didn't Yan- know who Gio Urshela was. Yeah, and they, and also the Yankees here. weren't on a playoff team last year if Miguel Andujar wasn't on that team. So it, it's, it, it, listen, you, t- you take your chances, right? For this year, Zach Granke, apparently, the the Yankees didn't even engage in trade talks with him, with the Diamondbacks about him because it was already brought to their attention that he was not going to come to the Yankees. He was not going to waive his no trade clause to go to the Yankees. The Astros were not on his no trade clause, so he could go there without any kind of you know approval. Um, so they took advantage of that, knowing that the Mets had ridiculous expectations for Zach Wheeler, and then all the other guys like Trevor Bauer had already gone off the board. Um, great move by Houston. Obviously, you fortify that rotation. Their rotation was a strength anyway, but two under-the-radar moves they also made was bringing in Joe Biagini, and Aaron Sanchez from Toronto. Now that'll sure up the pen. That'll take care of the pen, which has been their Achilles' heel this year. But yeah, obviously you go into a playoff series and you face Verlander, Cole, and Granky, and you've also got Brad Peacock in there. I mean, that team is that. Those are some oh, deadly arms coming at you. Not to mention their closer. What's his face? Osuna. The, uh, Osuna is pretty nasty. Yep. Yeah, good luck with facing that team in the playoffs. No, absolutely. Now, I, I will say this. Granky isn't Verlander, and he's not even Cole. He's a very, very good pitcher. He's when a he's a great on, year Yeah, well. exactly. And when under you, one whip, pitching to an under four ERA. Uh, I think under he's three, at a, yeah. Under, yeah, I think he's at a 2.95. Yeah. He's having a hell yeah. of a year. Yeah, and when you face... Oh, no, go ahead, Mike. He, yeah, he doesn't even throw hard anymore. He's not averaging over 90 on his fastball. No, he knows how to he's pitch. You, you watch him on the mound. He he knows how to pitch. And he listen, reminds me of Greg Maddox. Yeah, you can, you can face... You don't go up and say, "All right, we're not scoring today against him," like you do against a Verlander and even to even to an extent Cole. But you never feel good about going into that, and it cer- certainly as is currently constituted. Okay, Verlander, Cole, and Granke against Tanaka, Paxton, and Hap, and maybe or maybe Herman. How do you feel about that? So obviously, um, that was that was a move that the Astros made, and and this is something that I really want to talk to you guys about, and. The Houston Astros have done an unbelievable job of preserving their prospects and also knowing when to go for it. Now, they don't have the pressure that a team like the Yankees or Red Sox have where if they go out and overpay for a guy and if it doesn't work out, the fan base is going to, you know, scream about how it didn't work out. You know, if you go get a Justin Verlander and, you know, he came over to Houston and he was no different than he was in Detroit – what are they going to tell their fan base? Yeah, we had a chance to get Verlander. We thought we could turn him around. We thought a pennant race would help him out, and it didn't. What can you do? Um, if it doesn't work out for a Yankees or a Red Sox, you say, how do you go get that guy? Couldn't you tell he was over the hill? However, they've rode that momentum with a bunch of these guys, 
and have been, and they are absolutely one of the most analytically savvy and most intelligent front offices in all of baseball with how they transform guys. It seems like every pitcher the Yankees bring in gets worse. Every pitcher that goes to Houston gets better. Do you guys think that Houston now is the most well-run organization in baseball? Because I do. No question they're the most well-run organization in baseball. Yeah, I, I, mean, I would give them the top. I mean, I mean, look at them right now. I mean, they just have fine guys. They develop these guys. They do studs. They have... They draft very well. They look at the deep system. And they, they pick up guys who aren't doing well anywhere. I mean, I guarantee you, Aaron Sanchez will fix them and he'll be a good starter again for them and at the five spot. That'd be a weapon in the bullpen of the playoffs. The only black stain they really have is J.D. Martinez, who they let go, who eventually yeah, went to the tar- Tigers. But, but, you know, they had they had an overinflated farm system. They had a lot of young guys coming up. They didn't have any room for them, so I can't fault them for it. They won a World Series, so what can I talk shit about? The other teams that I would say are really well-run organizations, if we're leaving the Yankees out of this, would obviously be, in my opinion, the Los Angeles Dodgers and my Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, and Boston, too, I think you put up there as well. I I would throw Boston up there, although this year I don't think they're doing too hot, and I don't think they did too great of a job sharing up their pen, which has been their massive Achilles heel. Yeah, they've struggled—they definitely— I thought they were going to be more aggressive. And I don't think a Nathan Avaldi is going to put them over the top. No, I mean, last year it did because they put him in his in the rotation and he went nuts and he pitched out of the pen in the playoffs for him. This year they're hoping that they catch lightning in the bottle with him as a reliever. And listen, I think he'll be better than some of the guys they've run out there. But yeah, I think Houston by far is the most well-run organization. Tampa, Boston, the Yankees, and Dodgers are all right there with them. Um, how this affects the Yankees. So the Yankees did not go out and make a move. A couple of different things that I want to touch upon and then get both of your guys' opinions on it also. Um, I am going to applaud Cashman and also get mad at him. Where did Shane Green go? Atlanta. Okay, yes, I forgot. So here's I'm not mad at them for not making a move at this trade deadline. If Marcus Stro- if if teams who knew, I think the worst thing that happened to the Yankees was this past week of baseball, where their starting pitching got annihilated in Minnesota and Boston. So clearly, that showed that they were even more desperate than had been previously shown, and teams knew they could hold them for ransom. I mean, Detroit, Toronto, teams like that were asking for Glaber Torres. You know, like clearly the Yankees are not trading Glaber Torres. So if you're already starting there, you don't have a conversation. Arizona apparently wanted Clint Frazier, 2017 first-round pick, Clark Schmidt, right-handed pitcher, and two other prospects for Robbie Ray, who I'm sorry is a nice pitcher, but nothing more than that. The Mets are not going to trade with the Yankees for whatever reason. And then, of course, Toronto had already traded Stroman. And Bauer, you know, I think the Indians would have traded him to the Yankees, but if they could have gotten the kind of deal they got in trading him out of the league, they're going to do that. So fine. Cashman was left empty-handed. There weren't really any starters to get. Could he have overpaid for Mad Bum? Sure, but I don't think the Giants were inclined to move him. They're making a little bit of a run. He clearly wants to stay there. He's an icon. You would have to really, really tell your fan base why you didn't keep him. So, okay, fine. All well and good. I feel like they could have gotten a Shane Green. I feel like they could have gotten an Aaron Sanchez, but I guarantee you they believe that with a Batances coming back, a Davey Garcia 
coming up and also Loizaga back on the horizon. Those are bullpen pieces that you already add to Ottavino, Canely, Britton, and Chapman. Fine. And Green, too. What I'm most upset about are the moves that Cashman hasn't made and that has been done or hasn't been done over the last couple of off seasons. And Mike, you you detailed the Garrett Cole deal. All right, fine. The Yankees apparently were all in on him. They weren't willing to part with Andujar. You can't really blame him for that, but still, that's another one that fell through the cracks and went to a league rival, especially one that had just come off a World Series. Okay, you don't want to give Patrick Corbin the sixth year. They were they were obviously all in on Corbin. But they just didn't want to give him the sixth year. We weren't happy about that. Dallas Keuchel. They didn't want to pay another one point seven million for him. All right. Again, you let another guy slip through the cracks. Tom and I were on here screaming about sign Keuchel because, listen, you're getting him for only money. It wasn't going to be a lot of it. And if he sucks, he's a free agent at the end of the year. You owe nothing to. The moves that they've made over the last few years, and let me know if you continue to see a trend. Trade for Michael Pineda off one really good first half with Seattle. Trade for Nathan Avaldi. Electric stuff. Think they can tap into that potential. Trade for Sonny Gray. Gray. Had two really nice seasons in Oakland, but had battled injuries and kind of, you know, inconsistency the, the next year or two. James Paxton has shown flashes of brilliance, has never pitched a full season. You think you can tap into that potential. These are guys they're giving their top prospects for, not the Justin Verlanders who's won World Series or has been to World Series, not Madison Bumgarner who's won World Series. Not guys of that ilk. Not Dallas Keuchel, who's won a Cy Young and has won World Series. I think Cashman and the Yankees have done an unbelievable job of developing homegrown relievers. Obviously, Severino from the starting rotation has helped. Herman's been great this year. They've done an incredible amount of job, or incredible job of finding this amount of utility guys. A Gio Urshela, uh, Mike Talkman, an Aaron Hicks back then, Didi, of course, Luke Voigt. I can go all on down the line of guys that they found, bringing in a DJ LeMahieu. Awesome, right? But the starting pitching has seemed to elude them the last few years. Last few years, aside from Andy Pettit and Luis Severino, why don't right. you try the last since 1990, since forever? Right. I mean, but but back then they showed an inclination to go out. You know, they had David Wells pitch a perfect game, win a World Series on the best David statistical Cone? team of all time. And they bring in a Roger Clemens. You know, you sign a Mike Mussina to a seven-year deal when he became a free agent to add to a rotation that already had El Duque, Clemens, and Pettit. Those were the moves that they used to make. You're They're not doing right. that now. I Even mean, they brought in CC, they brought in Burnett. And say what you want about Burnett. He won a World Series for the Yankees and for all the other shit that happened with him, fine. The Yankees' new trend is trying to go out and catch lightning in a bottle with guys who have great stuff. But that great stuff has not shown any signs of winning, and you decide to re-sign CeCe and Hap. And I was a fan of Hap. He went 7-0 down the stretch last year. Was the reason the Yankees were able to hold on to that first wild card spot. He's been a disaster this year. I'm not giving him that much credit for Tanaka. You overpaid for him, and he was proven in Japan. So, all right. The Yankees' starting pitching issue has 
been more product of them not going out and getting surefire commodities. I'm not upset about this trade deadline. It's there that. weren't any good guys to go out and get. But eventually, you have to roll the dice with all these great prospects, with all these other moves. If you've got to pay for a Madison Bumgarner, if you've got to overpay for a Justin Verlander, if you've got to overpay for guys who you know have been there and done that, I feel better about taking my chance with a Bumgarner and having him implode in a Game 7 than a, than a James Paxton. Sorry, just do. You're absolutely right. And I think it's the fact that they haven't taken those chances and their inability to develop young pitching. You're going out and getting guys who are raw, a la the Nathan Avaldi and all the other guys that you mentioned, and they, they aren't the team. They aren't, like Mike said earlier, the Houston Astros or the Pittsburgh Pirates of a few years ago with that great pitching coach where it seems like every single pitcher they touch turns to gold. They're actually the opposite. Pitcher seems to get worse when they come there. So, yeah. I think they should go out and get proven commodities that don't need any help being good. Maybe they just need to change the scenery. Or maybe they're just going to be great because they're fucking great. Period. And th- and that is the one bad or the Achilles heel, I'll, I'll use that as my analogy again, of the Yankees is that they cannot develop and or go out and get, for some reason, proven starting pitching or develop proven starting pitching. And Severino, yeah, his stuff is electric. He was great at the beginning of last year. But in my opinion, the jury is still way out on him. Yep. Because he's hurt this year. He ran out of gas last year. And we'll see what he is for the latter part of this year and next year. The same thing with Hermont. He's been great this year. But before that, he was nothing special last year. And before that, he was coming off Tommy John. He was traded from, I don't remember. He was who. in the Evaldi trade. Yes. So the Yankees are terrible. They should realize their weaknesses and either fix it or go out and start getting proven guys. Remember Ivan Nova, how good he looked when he came up and then he fizzled out and turned out to be a middling starter. Exactly. Ian Kennedy, same thing. I don't know how you feel, Mike, because me and Sean are clearly two somewhat upset Yankee fans. And us being upset as Yankee fans probably makes you sick as a Mets fan. But how do you feel about the whole situation? All right, here's my take on this. And I feel like for a fact, I feel like right I feel like they are the biggest losers of this trade deadline by far because number one, I feel like Brian Cash is way too much a prospect hugger in the fact that like he sets his price on guys who will not budge for anything. So like like even We could say that ball, same argument for the Mets with Wheeler though. The Mets were different. That's what's saying, okay, we want more prospects that you will we want you to overpay us. That's the difference with the Mets. The Yankees are saying we set a value on the guy and if you want more than that, we're not gonna give him to you, which is why they let Patrick Corbin go, they want to give him a sixth year, which is why they didn't want to pay for Garrett Cole or for guys like that in trades. The problem with that strategy is that you know what? You have to get somebody in here because the bullpen is overworked to death. The Raiders didn't go. I mean, because guys like Adovino and Kingley and Britt, they're starting to wear down all the times the Yankees have gone with the opener or gone to bullpen days or short, try to shorten the game that way. If you're not going to get a starting pitcher, which I can, again, if they don't want to pay for Mad Bum, that's one thing. There's no reason why they couldn't have gotten gotten to Shane Green or could have gotten and gotten or taken the contract of Mark Melanson off the hands of the Giants because the Braves basically took all that money for, and gave nothing back. So, the fact that he sat there and got nothing, that's pathetic. And, I mean, that's a failure on the Yankees' part because they're, right now their hope is Luis Severino comes back, Alan McCansis comes back, John Eliza comes back. That's hope, and hope is not a strategy. And this guy is the Mets are in their move sometimes. They at least did something. The Yankees did nothing. I agree with you completely. You're preaching to the choir, man. Hope is not a strategy. I like that. I'll steal that. Yeah. And – 
I think you're a thousand percent right. Something needed to be done. And you mentioned bullpen arms, whether it be Melanson or Shane Green. And if you if you're not going to go out and get a starter because the market was kind of slim because the Mets are out on trading with the Yankees, so that knocks three guys off the board after they trade for a Stroman early, and the rest of the market was was a little too strong for the Yankees, whatever for their taste. There was plenty of bullpen guys out there. There was plenty of bullpen guys traded. And if you I have mean, to shore up your team that way. I'm sorry, what did you say, Mike? I mean, five of them ended up on Washington and Atlanta. There's no way the Yankees could have gotten one of those guys. Well, so this is where I'm going to jump in and disagree with both of you guys. The starting pitching, obviously, was something that I wanted them to address. But as the as the door shut on possibilities, all right, fine, none of those were going to happen. So now you look to the bullpen, right? I don't like... I never have enjoyed the notion, and the Yankees of the mid-2000s did this way too often, of making moves just to make moves. I but don't, I don't think they were making a well, move here's because my clearly thing. this plan is taxed. Well, as of right now, yes. But Loizaga's coming up, okay? But he's, that's hope. We're talking hope okay. here. No, 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 wait, because wait, he, he just... You're, you're he, the one coming. Loizaga's, Loizaga's coming up, and he, he just pitched in a rehab game last night. You're not asking for him to be a starter. Now you're asking him to be a reliever. But Tansis is supposed to come back as a Severino. You kept Davey Garcia. Debbie Garcia is coming up at some point in this season, and he becomes another guy that's throwing gas out of the pen. I'm sorry. I looked at the guys that the Nationals brought in, and are, and those guys are exponentially better. A Daniel Hudson, you know, uh, and uh, Elias from Seattle, and who was the other one that they brought in? They brought in Elias, and they brought know. in Hudson. Either way, they brought in a third, too, but... I look at those guys. Shane Green is the one that I would have liked the Yankees to go back and read. I wanted and, and a Shane get. Green or a Mark Melanson. And see, Melanson to me is, I don't look at him as somebody who's exponentially better than one of the guys that you're bringing back up. And to me, don't just go make him. It was like when they, when they were talking about, oh, well, maybe they'll go get Tanner Roark. I don't want Tanner Roark. No, I didn't want Tanner Roark so, either. That's a starter. I think that's stupid. yeah. So, but to shore up your bullpen, and again, you're giving up nothing but money, like he said, for a guy like Melanson. And you said it. Loisaga is going to come yeah, back. Yeah, I'm just not. But I'm not sure. I'm not I'm certain not pl- that those guys are better maybe. than the guys they already have. But when they're healthy. But again, I don't want to play in maybes. You said the Severino. Well, might, I think Melanson. Is I think Melanson and Hudson are maybes. But they're actually going to pitch. I, I don't like Hudson. Yeah, Fuck Hudson. They can pitch tomorrow for you. You don't know when you're getting. Uh... Exactly. That's my point. This is a proven MLB pitcher, and he's better than the maybe of a Batances. And I'm not saying go out and make a deal to make a deal. I think going out and getting Tanner Roark is a move where the Cashman says, all right, everybody, we made a move. Shut up. Same thing for all the guys that went to the Nationals. But when you have a proven guy who's a two-time all-star closer for Melanson, who's not even going to be in high-pressure situations, and I get it. His ERA has been a little bit elevated since he pitched for San Francisco and all that shit. But he's a proven product, and he's not a maybe. And right now, I hate to tell you, and I know you know this, Sean, Dylan Batances and Luis Severino are nothing more but maybes. No, of course they are. But Cashman obviously believes that they're coming back. I, I, all right? But That's why, at, because if, if he injury, really believed those... No, I get it. But if he really believed those guys aren't coming back, he's going to go out and get an arm. I think it's a bad job by my sports father in not going out and getting a proven bullpen arm for not that much, and I agree with Phillips. I think he's really just going to need bullpen arms for August, and the, and the, and their schedule in August is not all that hard. You're playing a lot of Baltimore and a lot of Toronto. 
Yeah, but I, I'm worried about taxing. I'm worried about taxing these guys for the playoffs. I'm worried about the innings. Innings matter, and I and I'm honestly worried about that. And if they go on a slide, they're gonna need like they did against Boston when it's 15 to fucking four. I'm worried about that. And a guy like Melanson is a guy that can come in and eat up innings for you, and he can also save a game if you need him to. And I, again, I'm gonna reiterate, I didn't want him to make a move to make a move. I just wanted a couple more arms in that pen to sure it up because you said, yeah, I, I. I I think the Yankees think they're coming back. Okay, well, I didn't. They, oh, the Yankees also thought that Aaron Judge was going to be out a fucking week, and he was out a month. The Yankees also thought that um, Giancarlo Stanton was going to be out two weeks. He was out two months. The Yankees also thought that Severino wasn't hurt that bad, and that he would be ready for the start of the season. Well, what's today? It's fucking July, July 31st. 31st. It's August tomorrow, and Severino hasn't pitched an inning. No, I get it. Same thing it's with the legitimate chances. concern. Because I'm just saying I'm that Cashman believes that they are coming back, and he didn't see a reason why he should put a premium on going out and getting these guys who... Uh, uh, do you honestly believe, as one of his sports fathers, Mike, that if Cashman really didn't think that Severino Batances or or Garcia or Loisaga could help this team, that he was, not, that he was just going to watch bullpen arms go by? Here's my problem with this theory, though. You mentioned that their schedule is white coming up, but you know what? They play a lot of baseball games. They play 19, 17 games. No, I get it. I'm not saying it's not a concern. I'm just saying that they believe that they are, that these guys are coming back. Yeah, it, but by the, time they come, by the time they come back, it's going to burn out everybody you have because you're going to be running Exactly, and, and it's not a concern. It's the concern, period. Pitching is the concern. And if you can't go out and get good starters, which I understand the market was garbage once Stroman got traded, go out and do the next best thing and get a couple proven or even one proven bullpen arm because, again, Cashman thinks they're coming back. I, I'm sorry, but, but that's it. But that's it. What you, but what are you going to do until they get there? That's the issue because you're going to run exactly. out of Vito and And that's what I'm worried about is the concern that they are, they, they are going to be burnt out come the playoffs and then it all hell is going to break loose and we're going to lose a second round series when this should be at least a CS team. At, at least I'm going to be disappointed if they don't go to the, to the, ser- to the, uh, to the championship I will tell series. you this. If they don't go to the ALCS, it will not be because of their bullpen. It will be because of their starting pitching. Which, again, which is not giving you enough light and wearing out your bullpen. Yeah, but but exactly. once you get to the playoffs, it, it doesn't matter. If you're if you're losing 3 nothing in the first inning, most of the time the game's over already. It doesn't matter who you're rolling out of that pen. All I'm saying is I get it, that, and I agree with you. I think that he, that Cashman, my sports father, one of them, truly believes that Severino and Batances will be back. I don't. Right, because, and I don't think you do either because the Yankees, especially in the past three years, have had a lot of trouble judging injuries and have, Although, and have honestly done a complete shit no, job they have, of judging but injuries. But did you see the news today out of Philadelphia? David Robertson's out for the year. We were complaining about why Cashman didn't re-sign Robertson. He's proven in New York. He's been great, blah, blah, blah. Well, he clearly made the right decision there, letting him walk. Okay, so I'll give him credit for one. So he's one for what? Give me the last three I'm years. not saying Ten? that anybody's right or wrong. We just have to wait and see. But the reason they didn't go out and get a Daniel Hudson or get a Shane Green is they didn't want to pay the price for either of those guys. And Cashman believes that these guys, like a Loisaga, like a Herm, or uh, like a Severino and Batances, they are coming back. And when they do come back, 
everything's going to be fine. Looking at it all together, I just think it's a bad job by the Yankees on the trade deadline. I do think they're the biggest losers, and, and it has, and it's not. I think even, Boston's just as big of a loser, by the way. Uh, Boston's definitely up there too, but Boston's also not in a, not in the same position as the Yankees, where the Yankees are eight games up and they're looking to be possibly the second best team in the AL. And, and you got to be stepping Mike, on the you throat made, right yeah, now. Yeah, Mike, Mike, and you you made a good point, right? I mean, obviously, they could have gone out and shirt up the pen. I I just yeah, think Mike. you know, all things considered. Cashman's talking to his doctors. He's talking to his guys. He believes these guys are going to come back and help them in some capacity. Well, those it is doctors what it is. should be fired for one, but that's a different gripe. But listen, I think the Yankees are one of the biggest losers with the Red Sox of the trade deadline. But I go back to our conversation earlier. This isn't just about the trade deadline. This is about the last couple of years. Yeah, because you know you could also out a lot a Dallas fucking Keiko. right. And I think you could also make a case. I certainly wouldn't call them winners, but I would also make a case that they saved themselves the deadline by not overreacting and going out and getting a guy just to get a guy. No, and I don't think they should have done that, but this goes back to I'm really pissed about the Melanson thing because I looked at that deal, and the Yankees could have had him for nothing. And would Melanson have, you know, saved the season? No, he's not going to start a game, but he can take some pressure off Adovino, take some pressure off all the guys that we went up and down in the pen. And when the trade – when because this trade deadline sucked. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I was saying it last week on our pod and everything. It's going to be crazy. People are going to react to the deadline, this, that, and the third, blah, blah, blah. And, and it didn't happen. All the fireworks happened earlier. Bauer got traded for Puig, which I'm still scratching my head at. And and the Mets got Stroman. But aside from that, I get it. The market was dead. But the Melanson thing really pisses me off because I think that he would have really helped out the Yankees this season. That's all I'm saying. And I think they did themselves a disservice because they wouldn't have to. They wouldn't have to give up a Frazier. They wouldn't. Ha- they wouldn't have to give up an Andahar or, or any of the guys. They probably give up somebody that even Sean might not know his name. Yeah. So well, and well, that's my point. Yeah. That's why I'm saying. No, I just both, think- both of you guys, your your opinion is, is well heard, and and I totally get it. I'm just going off of. We'll see what happens. Um, but you're right. I, I think either way, the Yankees went into this deadline with. Pretty big hopes, and it didn't work out. And all in all, bad job by the Yankees over the last few years in just their entire starting pitching life, period. Yeah, aside from Tanaka, it it hasn't been good. All right, let's shift gears over to that that Bauer and Puig trade and and that three-team deal. Mike, let's get your take on it, my man. What would you think of that three-team deal that sent Trevor Bauer to to Cincinnati, Yasiel Puig, and others to Cleveland, and then prospects to uh, San Diego? Okay, I I think of all three teams involved, I have... No idea what on earth the Reds were thinking with this trade because they gave up so much, like in terms of asset equity, just to get Bauer on this team. And their pitching staff is already pretty good. They have a lot of good options there. And they gave up Yasiel Tweed. They gave up a pretty good prospect going the other way for a year and a half of Trevor Bauer, who is, I think he'll do good for them. But he's not taking them to the playoffs this year or next year, I think, because their division is rough and they still have issues throughout the roster. I think any one pitcher is not enough for them. But the Indians did a hell of a job getting. Two outfielders are helping right now, and a good pitching prospect just for parting with one pitcher. That's a lot of hole. That's the kind of move I think the Mets were hoping for with one of their guys. I agree with you completely. I, I I think the Reds lost this deal. I just don't think a Trevor Bauer puts you over the top. He's a nice pitcher, and he's an. I think he reminds me a lot of a Marcus Stroman. I I think you said it earlier. He's an amazing number three, a, a serviceable number two. He's a nut job, and I love that about him when he threw the ball over the center field fence. Um, and so is Puig. 
Obviously, we saw that last night with Amir Garrett and people actually throwing hands, which I don't think I've seen in a real long time. In Can the, I just in say how much I loved him going at it after he had already been traded? Fucking great. Yeah, no, that, I, I do love that about him. And Amir, Amir Garrett, St. John's Pride, did play basketball at St. John's, so that's I had to get that in there. Amir um, Garrett also taking on the entire Tyra team to say, here, come, come at me, guys. There's not even giving like two hooks. Yeah, that was a real fucking brawl. I loved it. No, it, it was a lot of fun. But again, I think the Reds are the big-time loser in this one. They gave up a fucking ton of prospects for a guy who, at best, we said, in, in, a, in the best position is a good number three starter. Yeah, compared to what the Mets gave up for Strowman, the Mets look like genius compared to what the Reds gave up for Bauer. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with that. Yeah. All right, so what do we think of the trade? I, I think the Indians uh, overall won this one completely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Indians won this trade going away. Yeah, it's not even close. I mean, think about this, right? They just activated Danny Salazar the other day, which obviously was going to lead to more speculation that Bauer could get dealt. Kluber's coming back. You got to believe that Kluber's going to be better than he was before he had the forearm fracture. You've got a rotation of Kluber, Clevenger, Bieber, and Salazar. That's really freaking good. Is Carrasco ever going to pitch again? Is he? I'm okay? not sure. He's got the leukemia, so I, I'm not. I, I don't know um, what that treatment's going right. to be. But I, either way, they also get a legitimate. Yeah, they also get a legitimate bat in Puig to put into that corner outfield that they desperately need. And they get some of the top young talent that both those teams had to offer. They And I think the biggest win of it all, as if you want to put the cherry on top, they got all of this being able to trade Trevor Bauer out of the league so they don't have to possibly face him in the playoffs as they're right on the Twins' heels for an AL Central run and also cemented in that first place in the wild card. So... They that is, I mean, talk about just a royal flush right there. Con- tremendous job. Now, why was San Diego involved in this deal at all? San Diego apparently loved the prize that they were getting back from the Reds, the outfielder, Trammell. Apparently, they think he's a big deal. That's why they were involved in this trade. Okay. Yeah, and, and San Diego is in a really good spot because they have a pretty good major league. They already have a really good major league, you know, core. Between Hosmer, Machado, you obviously have Tatis, you have an outfield. You, I mean, there's there's a lot of reason to be excited there. And then you're just bringing in more prospects, which, you know, they could look at the rest of their farm system and decide, you know, guys they want to trade off who they already have. Or maybe they're going to use some of these young guys that they just got and, uh, and flip them for even more assets. They seem to be pretty progressive and they seem to know what they're doing. They're going to wait out this Dodgers run. And and be ready to and be ready to pounce. Yeah, they've been the one like the Syndergaard a lot. The issue with that that situation apparently they the Mets wanted more than what they were willing to give up for Syndergaard, which yeah. is what the reason why that didn't happen. Yeah, and I also don't think that the Syndergaard deal makes sense now. I mean, I think it, if you want to revisit it in the winter, sure, but you also have next summer and the next winter and the following summer. So you've got three opportunities coming up where you can really look at Syndergaard if you're San Diego and say he's worth giving up, you know, the prospects that we yeah, have. Yeah, and I yeah. listen, when it comes to valuing people high, I don't think the Mets did a bad job in valuing Syndergaard high. Just Wheeler. No, Syndergaard, you there it it made no sense to trade him from the get-go. I mean, here's a guy who's under team control for two more years. He's got electric stuff. He's has not had a great season so far, 
And why wouldn't you sell him at his highest? If you're going to sell him, sell him when his value is at its highest. Teams have struck out in free agency and they're analyzing the totality of their situation. These guys don't have their value it is not anywhere near where it could be and teams are smarter now they're not paying for what you have done they're paying for what you can be and if san diego is the best team on the market the mets don't have any incentive to trade him to them i still think that when push came to shove the mets and yankees were the ideal trade partner which is where we'll wrap up today guys we have talked so far about a lot of different trade scenarios and one that really bothers me, and as we have, you know, Tom and myself as Yankee fans, and and Mike, you're the you're the resident Met fan. It drives me up a wall that these deals will not get done. And you talk about philosophy, right? I think the Mets are scared shitless of seeing one of their guys on the back page winning a World Series for the Yankees, despite having already seen it with Gooden, Strawberry, and Cone. And they got nothing in return for them. And those were Mets icons. But they will refuse to trade one of their commodities to the Yankees. And apparently the Mets were the only team the Yankees were willing to trade David Garcia to if it was a Cindergaard trade. It would have made sense for both sides. You're getting a third baseman of the future, a corner outfielder of the future, a top-end arm. And probably you would have found a way to get another good pitching prospect too. It's again, I don't know whether it's because the Mets just don't didn't believe that they should sell and that they think that they're still in it or they want to contend again next year, or if it's simply a Yankees complex. But either way, something has to be done with this because there's going to be times where it, the, a deal makes too much sense to get to not get done and it's not going to get done. Where do you guys look at it? Mike, let's start with you. Well, I think obviously you're on something with the whole Yankee. Yankee, they don't want to help them out too much thing because I think that's a well thing where they don't want to see the Yankees run the bad days. But Brody was on WFN earlier today with Mike Frank, so he said he had a lot of confidence with Cashman this week about trying to get deals done. And the no, Yankees I don't disagree that they'll yeah. have conversations. But yeah, if you're asking, be, if you're asking like, for Debbie Garcia and Estevan Floreal for Marcus Stroman, you're out of your mind. No, the issue I see is that apparently they wanted like more than what. Like, apparently, they wanted to give more than Garcia for Cindergar, which is like the Mets wanted like a lot more for him from the Yankees. The Yankees said no. That was the issue I saw with that trade. Now, these numbers these teams could get together on smaller deals. Like, Wheeler could have been a fit there. They, they weren't able to get it done because they wanted a lot for him. He, I mean, in the past, they've had, I had Dan Federico on the baseball round my podcast this week, and he said that they, in the past, were were buffed on deals with Lucas Duda and Jay Bruce, and that tells you a lot right there because those are not game breaker kind of guys. That stuff goes back into the Wilpon saying, you know what, well, we don't want to help the Yankees out. Yeah, because I remember that Jay Bruce trade when they traded him to Cleveland, and the guys they got back were like you'd never heard of. And apparent, and and I know the the prospect the Yankees were ready to trade trade at the time. He he's since left, but it was much better as far as value was concerned. But again, it was, we are not going to contribute to the Yankees winning. I think that Van Wagenen and Tom and I talked about this together. I thought Van Wagenen was going to be the kind of guy that could maybe, you know, persuade the Will Ponds to make a move with the Yankees saying, listen, this isn't our best interest. We'll do it. Obviously I'm not going to blame them for Wheeler. That wasn't going to happen anyway. And they didn't trade him anyway. So that's fine. 
the Syndergaard thing, all right, you weren't going to trade Syndergaard. I don't think the Yankees were inclined to give Glaber Torres up, which apparently was what the Mets were asking for. But even if it's just Marcus Stroman, I mean, Esteban Floreal and and David Garcia is way too much for Stroman. I mean, the Yankees wouldn't even do that with Toronto. They definitely wouldn't do it with the Mets. And I think, again, it's the Mets saying, all right, no, we'll talk to you. We'll engage you. But you're going you're gonna to pay a little bit higher of a premium than we'll ask from other teams just because we want to pry in your desperation. And also, you're the Yankees, and we're going to really make you overpay if you want to deal with us, I think. But the fact that they have had conversations is a step in the right direction. And I'm not saying it's going to be linear and 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 whoever the Met GM is in another couple of years is going to continue to, you know, see eye to eye with Cashman. But when it all comes push to shove, it's the Wilpons. And I just think it's unfortunate because, you know, especially when you read that the Mets were heavily scouting the Braves system. It's like, wait, you would rather trade Syndergaard to the Braves than the Yankees and face him for two more years? Then just see him possibly helping the Yankees win and you getting, you know, this incredible amount of talent. I don't know. It doesn't make much sense to me. I hope this was a step in the right direction and at least they hung up the phone on each other with positive dialogue and, and progressive attitudes towards possibly getting a deal done. Tom, what do you think? I'm in agreement with, I mean, both of you. I think, I think we're all on the same page here. I just think I'm happy that they actually spoke to each other and that it's not going back to the days where you can't even get a deal done for a Jay Bruce or a Lucas Duda who Jay Bruce probably on that Yankees team, what might've been a fourth outfielder in a platoon and the same thing with Duda and the Mets won't even take a phone call on it or even be close. Um, I like the fact that they had a little bit of dialogue, but I think it's honestly, it might be time for MLB to step in because I think that the Yankees and Mets can work out a fair deal and I just think it's it's a dereliction of duty. Period. You know, let me throw let me throw, a, let me throw a deal out there to you guys as a Yankee guys for a potential syndicate trade. I discussed this on my podcast. We don't want to get your take on it as well. So here's what I'm thinking: if the Yankees called, if the Mets called the Yankees up and said, "We will give you syndicate. We want Davey Garcia, Clint Frazier, Domingo Herman, and a low A player of your team with upside." Do you think the trade gets done? I would do it. Yeah. Personally, I would do it. Cashman yeah. seems to have an absolute hard-on for Debbie Garcia. Yeah. But I, I I think that deal I think that deal would get done. I think if you threw an and Andahar in there with that package, I think that's a little much. But I, I think that that package would probably get done. I didn't even say Andahar. I said low A player on upside. No, no, no. I'm, I, I, I'm, I would I'm not assume, saying you I would said ass- that. I would assume that player has upside, though. Yeah, absolutely. I know you didn't say Andahar, but I'm saying if yeah. we if the Mets added an Andahar in there, You're that might be a little a too high. Yeah, absolutely. Somewhere you know? like that. I think for a guy who, let's say at this trade deadline, what does he have, two and a half years of controllable control left on his contract? He's only, what, 26? Yeah. 26 years old, he's got a got great stuff, already been to a World Series. I would make that deal, and I think Cashman would as well. You also remember to take you from on out of your rotation as deal as well. He's going to the Mets. So that's no, absolutely, I, I, but I still, I still believe that they would look at it and say, all right, fine. If you go into a series, because again, I think they're, the Yankees focus this trade deadline 
was not about just going to get us. Now, last year it was about getting pitchers to help out your rotation to just make sure you get to the playoffs. Because remember, Boston was way ahead of them come the trade deadline last year, and they were starting to fade fast. So Gray was unpitchable. Herman had been hurt. Loizaga had been hurt. So they needed to get a guy like a Hap and a Lance Lynn to fortify that rotation, give them innings, and ensure the fact that they were a playoff team. Also, it didn't end up happening, you know, until after the trades got made, but Severino also started imploding. So you really only had Tanaka, Hap, and Lynn last year down the stretch. Um, But a trade was going to be made this year by Cashman for a starting pitcher that was going to make the difference in a postseason series and who you could match up with a Justin Verlander or a Garrett Cole or a Chris Sale or, you know, a Berrios or somebody like that. They were not going to go out and get a Mike Miner. They were not going to go out and get a Robbie Ray. They were not going to go out and get guys of that ilk. They were because they're already in first place, barring a complete collapse. This team's good enough to make the playoffs with the rotation that is that's already in place. This team's already 30 games over 500 with the problems that they've had. They were going to go out and get a difference maker, and they believed Syndergaard was one of the very few that was the difference maker. Apparently, they were also very high on Bauer. So yeah, this, at the same time, my question is this then. Yeah. You mentioned Davey Garcia, like like at how like Cashman loves him and a theory I've heard from Dan Terry on my podcast is that he think that he spoke to a scout earlier this year. He said that the scout was not sure why everybody's so high on Davey Garcia. He thinks it's a guy who the Yankees are just propping up the move. And my question is this is then like why wouldn't you take him and take Clint Frazier who has been buried in triple A and they have no use for him and Use them as the centerpiece to say that. Well, two down. two things already. Hard. Two things already off the bat. Clint Frazier is buried in AAA for now. They envision him as a longtime left fielder for their team. So, but, he, but regardless, got hurt. They they bypass it twice to call off guys like because he they don't they're not going to have him play for a month and send him back down. He doesn't make sense as a guy that's going to only play for a little bit. Eventually, Stanton comes back. You've got Gardner coming back. Talkman is a guy who has hit and you feel good about sitting him for a few days. Cameron Mabin's a professional fourth outfielder. Clint Frazier needs to be playing every day. So they're not going to call him up for another couple weeks to just send him back down again. He is the left fielder of the future. Gardner's not coming back. That's fine. So I get that. I think that they would have done that kind of trade. Apparently, the Mets want Glaber Torres. I'm not talking about the Mets. I'm about the Giants or Bumgarner. Oh, that that trade wouldn't get done. The Giants wouldn't want more. Yeah, but like this is a guys the kind of move you say they don't make. That's a move that you can make. No, I don't. I don't think the Giants would have taken that man. I think the Giants would have wanted more. I don't think Dev. I don't think Debbie Garcia and Clint Frazier and yeah, Domingo Herman is enough. You're trading a franchise what, icon. That's one two. That's one three World Series for them. But at what point though, if you have to make that offer, you can't refuse. To, you can't refuse to get the guy that help you win. Because the, the Giants are asking for Glaber Torres, and you don't trade Glaber Torres. I understand that. They're not going to trade Glaber Torres. There has to be a price point there. The Giants say, you know what, it's too much for us to turn down. No. The, Gi- the Giants, the, 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 those teams asked for Glaber Torres as the centerpiece of a trade. Therefore, if Glaber Torres is not being offered as the centerpiece of that trade, that trade is not happening. It's also called positive as well. They want to see what they can get out of them. I'm sure Garcia would not. I'm, I, I, listen, I promise you that 
the Yankees circled the wagons with every single starting pitcher they could have gotten, particularly somebody of ace caliber that, that they had been rumored to desire for a long time. As I said earlier, this past stretch of baseball was the worst thing that could have happened to them because not only did it tax their bullpen and destroy and, and have ERAs go through the roof, but at the time where everybody already kind of knew the Yankees were looking at starting pitching, it made them look incredibly desperate. It's like come, it's like come, you know, prom season. You have your girlfriend. You guys break up. Everyone's already starting finding dates, and now you've got to circle to a few of them, to a few girls to try to find one. You know, it's just not going to happen. And everybody knows you're desperate, so you know it makes you look even worse. It doesn't make you look like you actually want them. So, the Giants can absolutely, for their franchise icon. Ask for Glaber Torres, and if the Yankees say no, said okay, we don't have to trade him anyway. Let's take advantage of your desperation. You're not going to trade Glaber Torres. We want Glaber Torres. Fine. The Mets. Yeah, we know you want Syndergaard, and we would be happy to trade you Syndergaard. You've got you've got to give us Glaber Torres. Every single trade scenario has to start with Glaber Torres. We'll figure out the rest later. You're not going to give up Glaber Torres? No deal gets done. And I don't blame any of those teams for asking for that. I also don't blame the Yankees for not doing it. Glaber Torres is a guy that could realistically hit 30 home runs a season, hit 300, and play gold glove second base for the next 12, 13 years. So as great as Syndergaard is, as great as Bumgarner is, you're not giving up an asset like that. You're just not. Yeah, my point is that I think that these teams know that, obviously. I see the course the best never actually asked for him, that they asked for other stuff, and that they were not given what, what they wanted. That, but that's Bobo Reed is really on that one. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I still, from everything that I had heard, those teams wanted wanted mm. the Yankees to pay the Yankees an tax. astronomical amount. And I think David Garcia is a guy that they envision being a top-end guy. Listen, they, they were in this situation last year with uh, – with Justice Sheffield. they Everybody wanted Justice Sheffield, and people thought, oh, you know, he's too small, but he started the Futures game and, and whatever, and the Yankees were propping him up, and they never called him up, and they ended up sent, shipping him to Seattle for Paxton, and we'll see what ends up happening with Garcia. They're either going to trade him at some point while his value is the highest, or they're going to call him up and, and take a roll of the dice with him. Maybe he's Jabba of 07. Maybe he's a Jabba or Hughes that bounces back between the rotation and the pen. Or maybe he's a trade asset for, for somebody. Who knows? But Maybe he's an ace. Maybe we get lucky. Right. So who, who knows? I mean, listen, every scout's going to have their opinion. This guy somehow, though, has rocketed through this system. Nobody had even heard of him before the season started. And I don't blame Cashman for, for saying that we're not going to trade him and our future left fielder. And if you want, God forbid, our second baseman. Uh, yeah, that's not that's not going to happen. And again, I don't blame the Mets for or the for our hypothetical trades. I would do that trade that you presented, Mike, in a second. But I don't think that trade was presented to the Yankees. I think every every conversation started unless it was you know. But and, and again, it depends on the pitcher. The Yankees valued Syndergaard higher than just about everybody else out there, as they should. As they should. So if, when the Mets asked for. Garcia for Stroman, the Yankees were probably like, no, we, we weren't going to do that with Toronto because we don't value Stroman as a World Series or bus starter. We value him as a guy that's going to help us. So that's that's not going to get done. Again, the Yankees were the Yankees were put in a really bad situation. Trades got made. They knew the teams knew they were super desperate, and they didn't have a they didn't have a chair to sit in, 
and without having to give up their house. So yep. it was what it was. All right. So we are about an hour and 15 in. Last thing I have to say is um, Jonathan Paxton, figure it the fuck out. James Paxton. Whatever. I don't fucking care. He's Jonathan until he starts pitching below a four. I just love how you love making proclamations and you still get the name wrong. Jay Happ, figure it the fuck out. Tanaka, keep doing what you're doing. I don't care if you implode every once in a while. Good job by you, Domingo Herman. I was really happy with how he pitched on Sunday Night Baseball. I had to mute the TV. I couldn't listen to A-Rod anymore. Mike, what do you think of A-Rod as an announcer? I think A-Rod is too into the A-Rod stick sometimes. I think he... He means well. I mean, he definitely, he definitely knows he loves baseball. I think they overproduced that show way too much. Agree with you across the board there. I, I just, I have A-Rod fatigue, and he is my idol A-God. I praise be A-God. But just chill, dude. Just be yourself. Be like you were with Pete Rose a couple of years ago in the booth, okay? And yeah. But back to the pitching, I thought Domingo Herman did an incredible job being a stopper because that could have been really bad had the Yankees gotten swept by the Red Sox and he pitched incredibly and I'm hoping that he, they can carry that over. How weird is it that Sale all of a sudden can't beat New York? What do you think of that, Mike? Well, sorry, what'd you say? What do you Sale think of the fact that Sale all of a sudden can't beat the Yanks? The Yankees own him since he put on a Red Sox uniform. Really? No, just the last too. just the last year. Yeah. Yeah. His first year he was basically untouchable. Do you do you look at Sale and say this is this is a problem or or do you still value him as one of your the best pitchers in baseball? I did think a lot of guys in baseball. I have a problem with this year making big rash doesn't it because of the fact that baseball is so wonky and people can't throw sliders. And so I see what happens when they fix the baseball, then I'll make more of a judge on these guys. That's a good call. The thing that worries me about Chris Sale is that his velo's down to like 91, 92. He pumped it up a couple of times, like 95, but he used to be throwing 100 routinely. And I just think that he has really good stuff, but all of his stuff played off the fastball going at 100. That dude's throwing a ton of innings, though. So oh, no, I, I agree with you completely, man. And I just think that the velo's down and the Red Sox gave him that big-time deal, and I get it. He gave him a World Series and whatnot, but... It just it makes me really nervous when he's topping out at ninety two in the third inning. Granky is finding a way to win with less than ninety. I'm sure she'll figure it out. No, listen, I agree with you. Granky is, but Granky also puts the ball wherever the fuck he wants it. Sale cannot do that, and Granky's got a lot better off speed stuff. Sale's off speed stuff relies heavily on the fact that he throws a hundred miles an hour. He reminds me a lot of Cece of about six seven years ago. It took Cece about four years to figure it out, though. Yep. And that's and that's you know power pitchers who are used to getting by with that because Granky's fastball. Granky's an anomaly, and I know I compared him to um, to Maddox, and he's not of the ilk of Maddox. There's not too many pitchers that are, but he is much like Maddox, where he had the stuff earlier in his career. He was throwing mid to high 90s, touching like 97 in the prime of his career. But he could always put the ball where he wanted it, and he could throw any pitch in any count, and he was just a pitcher's pitcher. He just knew how to pitch, and I don't see Sale as that. I Earlier in his career, I didn't see CeCe as that. Those were guys who were going to go out there, blow it by you, and then throw a slider that makes you look stupid. But, again, he's not painting the corners, any of that shit that, that Granky's been doing his entire career. Yeah, that's fair. All right, well, I got an agreement from Mike Phillips, so I suppose we should end on that one. Mike, why don't you give us a plug before we go so we can get all uh, get all that out of the way? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you want to hear more from me, you can check out my podcast. You just end the suffering podcast. This week, I recorded live show on Monday. I talked to 
the guys on my baseball beat, Wilson Ironhand, Anthony Sarbolini, we talked, broke out Mets, Yankee stuff. I also spoke to uh, baseball writer Dan Federico, who is now verified on Twitter, by the way. He has a lot of interesting insights. So Congrats I'm, to that I'm, person. Yeah, he's an actually he's a, he's an up and coming guy on this team. You got to keep an eye on this dude. Like he literally was, he broke the three hundred million dollar contract thing for shirt offered to Harper last year before anybody else had it in, in the national headlines. So he knows his stuff. So he had a lot of stuff to say about the Yankees on the trade deadline. So go back, check that episode out. I also talked to Sean Morash from the DA show last night. Talked to Giant Football with him. So that's another one you guys want to check out on the podcast feed. Very cool, man. Definitely looking forward to that. Before we go, I heard that you had some people from your fantasy baseball league on your podcast. Is that what you said? No, I I went. To, I don't know who you're referring to specifically. You said at the beginning that you had people from your fantasy baseball league on the no, podcast. No, I said my my I, my crew called the baseball beat. So like, oh, okay, because I was gonna come to fucking I was gonna come down there and fight you because I'm in your fantasy baseball league and you didn't ask me. But never mind. Yeah, I'm not having the baseball people on. If Tom's not included, he gets a little upset. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I'm the CEO. I'm the boss. Jesus Christ. All right, well, thank you, Mike, for coming on. Everybody go and read Sean and Mike's articles. Mike's got two going. Sean's got one up there. Sean, catch up to Mike, would you? This guy's a superstar. He's, he's killing it. All right, everybody. Thank you, my for, thank you for listening. Maybe we'll be back in the later in the week. Maybe not. And, Mike, when you put your podcast out, mostly Mondays? Yeah, usually Monday or Tuesday, new episodes come out. That might shift a little once football season starts. All right, so look out for Mike Mondays or Tuesdays or some other time when football season starts on Just Send the Stuffering. And everybody have a good rest of your week. Take care, guys.